welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. We are happy you've decided to join us today. To start off, we're going to hit you with some not-so-fun facts about homicide taken from ourworldanddata.org. More than 400,000 people die from homicide worldwide each year. Homicide is the leading cause of death in young adults. In Latin America, homicides are the leading cause of death in 15 to 49-year-olds. Less than 1% of global deaths are from homicide, but in some countries it is close to 10%. Nearly 185,000 cases of homicide and non-negligent manslaughter went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. What do these numbers have to do with today's podcast, you ask? Today we're going to talk about serial killers. More specifically, active serial killers. Serial killers are different from mass murderers and many other killers in that they are defined in the Oxford Dictionary as, quote, a person who commits a series of murders, often with no apparent motive, and typically following a characteristic, predictable behavior pattern. And by the FBI as, a person who murders three or more people usually in service of abnormal psychological gratification, with the murders taking place over more than a month and including a significant period of time between them. In other words, someone who is fucked up who kills people over a long period of time just because they want to. Even though not all 400,000 cases of homicide can be linked to a serial killer, many experts believe at any given time there could be as many as 50 serial killers currently active in the United States alone. And one guy who is a self-proclaimed serial killer detector, Thomas Hargrove, says there may be more than 2,000. What? I don't know about you, Emma, but I'm definitely going to need a drink for this one. Same. Um, It was hard to pick a signature cocktail for this week because we obviously didn't want to pick a serial killer's favorite beverage. And that would have been wrong on many, many levels. Right, so today we're not going to have like an, a recipe for all of you. We're just drinking some margaritas that we had with dinner. Um, we didn't feel that it was very appropriate or sensitive to be like, this was Ted Bundy's favorite cocktail. Right. Mm, um, that because that's just weird and not what we're trying to do here. No, we didn't want to glorify anybody or give any praise or do anything that would make someone else think that it was cool to be a serial killer and want to gain some fandom by joining in and drinking their favorite drink and then going on some murder spree. Yeah, that would be not good. (laughs) Also, just, like I said, a little weird to be like, this was the specific person who did horrible things. This is what they like to drink in their downtime. Um, But we have margaritas, as I said, just out of the bottle. Jose Cuervo, shout out. Yeah. Um, Last we checked, Jose Cuervo hadn't killed anybody. (laughs) To our knowledge. Um, But now that we have our drinks, we're going to begin talking about the most dangerous active serial killers of 2021. And we begin this um, episode with Pedro Alonso Lopez, who is known as the Monster of the Andes. Here we go again with the nicknames for the serial killers. And it's such a strange thing to me in my mind. It's almost like making them stars in a way or immortalizing them. 
and I was just talking about how the whole fanboy thing, I've always found it really odd when the newspapers and, and things, the news media, give serial killers nicknames. Yeah, I, also, I understand it to an extent because um, we're talking about people who we don't know the actual name of, so it's almost easier from a news perspective to give like this quirky little buzzword that they can put out there that's going to spread like wildfire because then you can see, oh, new news on the Night Stalker, for instance, instead of like new news on unknown man committing killing spree in California. But I do think it's weird. Um, I, I think it probably does give them some big ego or some feeling like they're a celebrity when they're on the news every day and they have a quirky little nickname and that it's going to be immortalized and yeah. like set in stone for the rest of history because it's very rare that you hear oh uh richard ramirez usually hear the night stalker yeah or the zodiac killer or the golden gate killer like things like that well in the job of all media whether it's print media or media on television or whatever is to get people to click read subscribe do whatever and things that incite fear definitely sell i mean fear oh, yeah. sells look at the horror industry Especially movies. during, like, in an, in an area in which there's an active, like, serial killer or killing spree, there's going to be fear and people are going to want to hear about it and be in the know. For sure. But, according to Rolling Stone magazine, Lopez began assaulting and murdering people when he was very young. And I'm in no way trying to make excuses for his murderous ways, but he had a horrible, awful upbringing. Lopez was raised by his mom, who was a prostitute, and she conducted her business in the home in front of the children and they were really young when this was going on and Lopez himself has been quoted as saying that witnessing acts of prostitution while growing up had disturbing effects on his psyche and it's yeah very I, I'm sure it did I can't I mean exposing any young child to especially things regarding sex is going to make their mind a little warped it makes them age very quicker it makes them think of sex is like trivial and not as big of a thing especially when you're super young and it's no wonder that he was caught fondling his younger sister after watching those things happen because we see it in a lot of cases when kids are exposed to sexual behavior from adults at a young age they become hypersexual themselves and they don't even necessarily know what they're doing it but they see it as normal behavior by the people who are supposed to be the role models in their lives so they oftentimes take that behavior to be their own and his mom then kicked him out at the age of eight because of his actions. And I don't even, one, that's, that's not legal in America. So no. I don't even know how that's possible. But uh, this didn't happen in America, so that's why. But uh, can you imagine like, being on your own at eight years old? No, I couldn't imagine. And as a mom, I couldn't imagine kicking my child out at eight. Yeah, what is I mean, that, like third grade? Yeah, like second or third grade, depending on the time. I, what a... Like I said earlier, I'm not trying to excuse anything, but I cannot imagine the trauma that an eight-year-old would endure on the road. Yeah, and I don't even necessarily think it's excusing it, but you definitely do have to look into what could cause someone to deviate from like the norm and be uh, become an aggressive, violent person. And a lot of times those things stem from an early age at home. Like It's a very clear pattern with people who become mass murderers or murderers or serial killers, their home life is usually less than savory. Right, really bad. And when he was eight, he fled from his hometown to Bogota, Colombia, where 
he claims he was abducted and raped by a man. So he was enduring more trauma. And at age 12, Pedro was taken in by a family and enrolled in a school for orphans. A few years later, he ran away. Conflicting reasons for him running away have been reported. <laughs> I said read. <laughs> I meant ran away. I'm so sorry. Conflicting reasons for him running away have been reported, and some say it was because he was being molested by a male teacher, and others claim he ran away with a teacher, but no one really knows for sure. What we do know for sure is that the events of his childhood greatly shaped him as an adult, and by the age of 18, he was stealing and selling cars to chop shops just to live. His life of crime led to him eventually being arrested, and during his incarceration that time, he committed his first murder. Lopez claimed that during his time in jail, he was brutally gang-raped and that he hunted down the most brutal of his rapists and killed them. And I honestly can't say that I blame him for that one. I don't blame them either. If there's anything that we've learned from past history is that usually rapists and sex offenders and child molesters don't last long in jail because that's not something that people take too kindly to. No. Uh, after being released from prison, Lopez moved to Peru, which is where he began killing young girls. According to his own confessions, by 1978, he had killed over 100 girls before being caught by an indigenous tribe. And his reign of terror would have ended there if they would have been able to execute him like they planned. But nope, a Christian missionary from the United States intervened and got him released to the state police. I, I'm sorry here. Someone has some typos, which is why I'm stumbling <laughs> over my words. But he got him released to the state police, who quickly released him to the public. Which sounds like a super great idea. Let's release the murdering monster back into the world. I don't know why these people are such idiots, but they really were. Yeah, also confused as to why a, a Christian missionary took it upon himself to see this man who had confessed to killing over a hundred girls and say, I want to save him. Like, I need to revitalize him and send him back to the public. You almost wonder what that person thought because um, he wasn't finished with his killing spree. So what did they think afterwards? Because he was released, moved back to Colombia, and then later he moved back to Ecuador where he began killing, according to him, three girls a week. And he's quoted saying, I like the girls in Ecuador. They are more gentle and trusting, more innocent. Yeah, he really was a sick bastard. I would have to agree. And also, it's just crazy to me that the state police were okay with that because there was no time for him to have had any kind of rehabilitation to think that this is someone who's changed it all and can be a person who will not go back to what they were doing. But thankfully, he was caught in 1980 when he failed at an abduction and was trapped by market traders. During his arrest, he confessed to killing 103 girls and led authorities to the bodies of 53 of them. Sorry, I just took a drink. Margarita, because this story kind of gets me heated. In 1981, he was convicted of three of the murders, and he confessed to 300 sexual assaults and stranglings at that time. His dude was seriously messed up. But police didn't truly believe him until a flash flood happened and during the flash flood it uncovered a mass grave containing many of his victims. They thought he was just kind of posturing and saying he killed all these people and he really hadn't. In what can only be described as a miscarriage of justice, he was released from prison by the government of Ecuador in 1994. He served 14 years of a 16-year sentence and they released him for good behavior. Um, First, how in the hell did he only get 16 years? I'm not sure how the Ecuadorian 
police or prison system works, but that would one would never happen in America, right. I think, especially at this point. That's crazy. It's yeah, I have no idea. It's really one of the worst things I think I've ever heard. Um, and it actually gets worse. Because he was sent back to Columbia after his release and put on trial there also, where he was eventually found legally insane and sent to a psychiatric hospital where he remained for four years. Um, not to be outdone by the stupidity of Ecuador, Colombia also released him for good behavior in 1998. And he hasn't been seen since. However, he has been connected to additional murders as recent as 2002, but his whereabouts are unknown as of today. Which is super terrifying and why he made the list of our serial killers today. Um, I really would like to know how someone with that many committed and admitted murders is allowed to roam free. I truly do not understand. And honestly, he, the miscarriage of justice started number one when he was released the first time. Because I guarantee if he was sent to a psychiatric hospital after the first arrest, he probably would have been found legally insane there as well and probably could have gotten the mental help that he needed um to at least be somewhat functioning in his own right in his own regard as a human being because as we said he had so much trauma from a young age that i'm sure he probably was experiencing some psychosis that probably could have been treated medically with therapy and extensive therapy um and medicine but and you almost have to wonder if he was like some super great actor and had everybody convinced because when yeah, I was like Ted Bundy when I was reading some of the information on him they said that they not only before they released him had they decided he was being released for good behavior but they also deemed him sane again so they thought he had been so rehabilitated that he was no longer clinically insane so yeah. either that's some really bad Cops and therapists and clinicians and everything, or I think everyone involved probably just fucked up. Yeah, this guy's got like nine lives. Anyone's got it right. Yeah. Um, but moving to north to Canada, we have the Highway of Tears killer. He was named after a stretch of road where over forty bodies of female hitchhikers have been found, dumped, and over eighty plus people have disappeared. And the killer began his murder spree back in nineteen sixty nine. And I just want to um, say we're going to say killer. A lot when we talk about this but there are several theories that it might be multiple killers because it's been happening so long but just for sake of um, because no one knows we're just gonna keep it singular for a while so the highway is 450 miles long and runs from Prince George to Prince Rupert British Columbia and due to the incredibly high number of indigenous women who are on the list of missing and or murdered many worry there may, may actually be more victims because indigenous women in Canada are traditionally underreported when crimes occur. And not even just in Canada and everywhere. Um, and when you look at the statistics, it's disproportionate when they are reported how many indigenous women are victims of violent crime or are missing people. And sadly, indigenous women are historically underreported in crime statistics, like I just said. Many have tried to use a variety of, of excuses to explain why the crimes have been allowed to go on for so long without a more aggressive intervention by the police. They have blamed everything from pro- poverty, drug abuse, and even domestic violence as possible motives for the women ending up disposed on the side of the road. One real factor that does play into the large amount of hitchhiking in this area is poverty because it creates a lack of car ownership. 
thus making it e much easier for the monster who is stalking the road to find his or her victims. Yeah. It's um, a very desolate area, also, and very remote. And so I think that kind of leads itself to a sense of security for the person who's committing these murders because they're, like I said, it's 450 miles of highway and very, very easy for you to find somewhere to dispose of a body. And there was also talk about the, the soil being really, really fine. So you could very quickly dig a grave and get rid of somebody and be back on the road and no one would even know. And also we've seen it even in just like sex trafficking and human trafficking. The places where those numbers are highest are usually where there's a large highway because if someone is going to abduct someone and try to escape very quickly, the quickest way to do that is to get on a highway and just drive because you're inconspicuous. You blend in with the rest of the cars on the highway. You're not going to have to take like the back roads. So highways are very often places where a lot of crimes are committed because that means there's not going to be cops on every inch of a right. 400 plus mile long highway. Um, there are hundreds of miles for someone to dispose of bodies pretty easily, but not everyone has gotten away with their crimes on this stretch of road. Five serial killers have been convicted of murders associated with the Highway of Tears. Cody Lejabakov, I'm not sure <laughs> how to pronounce his last name, don't really care, was convicted of murdering four women. Brian Peter Arp, Arp mm -hmm. uh, was convicted of two. Edward Dennis Isaac was convicted of three, Gary Wayne Hanlon of two, and Bobby Jack Fowler three, and maybe a fourth. However, many believe someone else is still killing on the road, and many of the cases remain open to this day. There are some patterns that have emerged that suggest one person may re be responsible for many of the murders, but authorities are not confident enough to make that an absolute declaration, and they have told the people that they're not sure they're ever going to solve the murders of their loved ones. That they're trying, but they should kind of just move on. And there's even speculation that several active serial killers are currently using the Highway of Tears to carry out their crimes. And hopefully with the addition of um, billboards that are put up all over it, warning women specifically not to hitchhike in the area, that will help decrease some of the abductions and the murders. And also with new DNA testing they might be able to pin some of these murders on somebody who's arrested for another crime. Unfortunately, a lot of them, because they were really, really old murders, the DNA evidence wasn't really a thing during that time, so it's really hard to see what's going on. Um, yeah, we've definitely seen how um, technology and crime and um, investigating and stuff like that has we are really lucky to live in an age where we do, where crimes are solved more easily with, instead of pinning it on people who, like, just happen to be at the wrong place, wrong time, because we actually have, like, DNA and stuff like that. So, yeah. But I, for one, will not be traveling that highway anytime soon. And if you just heard lots of background noise, we apologize. That was, um, someone trying to be quiet. <laughs> and I'm not, um, 100% sure if the attempt at being quiet actually made the footsteps way louder so yeah. very sorry about that but um we are actually going to take a little brief pause and i'm going to chug some this margarita because serial killers freak me out and we'll be back in just a minute and we're going to talk about some more active serial killers so be right back
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. We were just talking and thinking that the men listening are probably feeling pretty safe right about now. Probably. The first two serial killers only seem to pick female victims, but historically men and women are almost equally likely to become the victim of a serial killer. Serial killers also prefer younger victims, with about 18% of people being under the age of 18 and only 10% being over the age of 60. And the peak age for becoming a victim of a serial killer is between the ages of 20 and 29, and that's at a whopping 27%. And then your chances of being killed decrease each decade you are alive. This is some fun stuff. These numbers don't mean you're walking around with a 27% chance of being murdered by a serial killer. They account for the statistical breakdown of the almost 10,000 victims in the study. And your chances are also greater based on where you live. While California has the most overall victims in the study at 1,628, Washington, D.C. historically has the most serial killings per capita. However, our next killer doesn't really like statistics much as his or her crimes span many different states and only involve one gender. The smiley face killer is said to be responsible for the murders of 40 college-aged men. Rolling Stone says that there are a series of suspicious deaths with eerie similarities. The victims are white, college-aged men and their deaths have all been ruled accidental and usually attributed to alcohol, and their bodies turn up in local rivers. The link here is the presence of a smiley face graffiti. Many believe this mark is used to identify victims who were targeted by a gang, likely for their perceived status of privilege. Many think these drownings are truly accidental, but a lot of others, including former NYPD detective Anthony Duarte, believe they are the work of a serial killer or killers. Those that believe the serial killer theory also point to things like a similarity in decomposition rates and the presence of a drug called GBH, also known as the date rape drug. And that's been detected in most of the autopsies. What makes this really crazy is that they've found some 335 cases considered suspicious enough to be linked with the potential smiley face killers. The FBI maintains that there's not enough concrete evidence to link the deaths, and without further investigation, it will continue to remain unclear as to whether they are simply just unfortunate accidents or something more. And going kind of back to the decomposition thing, one of the, one of the interesting facts that I read was they actually thought that the people were kidnapped somewhere and then taken off and like maybe possibly even tortured for a long time. That's why the bodies weren't as badly decomposed as they should have been based on when they were reported missing. So some of these people, these men, were not found for two and three weeks after they were reported missing, and their bodies should have been in, like, advanced stages of decomposition at that time. Especially if they're found in water. Yeah, and they were pretty well preserved. So that was kind of leading to the theory that maybe they were actually kept alive for a while and then dumped and it was made to look like an accidental drowning. And... It is entirely possible that 
people maybe are just seeing patterns and aren't there because our, we, as humans look for patterns and things. Yeah, definitely. A former FBI agent by the name Brianna Fox is quoted saying that it's sometimes easier to believe in a serial killer than in our individual vulnerability to tragedy. Yeah, especially considering that all of these people are young, healthy, vibrant men. I mean, I feel like as a society, we take young male deaths to be like a vulnerability for all of us because those are the people that we have historically looked at as like the strongest of the species and of our, I guess, of humanity. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, but... It's definitely a gut punch when you see, especially a bunch of people who were just out having a good time and then, boom, they're, you know, swimming in a river, which seems like a really crazy thing to do, even if you are super, river, yeah. Yeah, super intoxicated. I don't understand. Um, unfortunately, in this next serial killer scenario, it seems as though there are definitely not just freak accidents. In Mons, which is a city in Belgium, between January 1996 and January 1997, five women were brutally murdered and then dismembered. This killer became known as the Butcher of Mons, and then he just completely stopped. No one has ever been convicted of the crimes, but that isn't the end of the story here. According to the New York Times, across the pond in Brooklyn in September 1990, a garbage bag containing the pieces of a 61-year-old woman named Mary Veal was discovered. The investigation, investigation eventually led to a man named Smaho Dzerlik, who first knew Mary as a translator who worked on his divorce. Long story short, he was long gone by the time detectives got to his apartment. Kudos on saying that name, because I would not have <laughs> been able to. Um, fast forward to 2006, and rumors began that Smajo... Smaho. Smaho. <laughs> see, told you I couldn't. <laughs> ...had been bouncing around Europe, and a similarly mutilated body was discovered dumped in an Albanian lake. Law enforcement started to connect the dots, and he was arrested in Montegro and found guilty of Mary Beale's murder in 2010. In spite of law enforcement's best efforts, he was not convicted of being the butcher of Mons. They came up with a very, I'm sorry, they came up very empty when they tried to prove he was even in Mons at the time of the killings, but it is widely believed that the murder victims were indeed his. It is also entirely possible that they weren't, and the butcher is still out there. We see that a lot where um, there are people who are arrested for one murder and then, uh, or two in this case, where the they notice very quickly that the way that they have killed people and dispose of them is very similar to an ongoing or cold case that is happening somewhere else and they try to connect the, the dots there. But unfortunately, given how much space there is in between Brooklyn, New York, and Belgium. It is very hard to link him to that unless there's like physical evidence or witnesses who saw him there at that time. But given the fact that he fled before he was even captured by police in the first place, means that he had a lot of time to do whatever he really wanted Yeah, under a new name probably in a different place. It's amazing to me and I'm not saying that anybody did anything wrong but it's, there's a reason why there's so many unsolved murders out there it seems like the killers always have a head start on the people trying to catch well, them yeah i mean contrary to popular belief a lot of people who do partake in the acts of a serial killer are not stupid no they're, they're super smart most of them have very elevated iqs they're very smart people and they're normally 
people who have been in trouble with the law before so they know the best way to evade the law when the time comes for them to have to face them again um but yeah yeah for sure. and although this one was about men we're going to go back to the trend of women being murdered as well um, and we're going to introduce the term femicide, and I'm sure a lot of you know what that is. There's a lot of sides. There's femicide, infanticide, mm-hmm. um, fratricide, things like I mean, that. Genocide, homicide. Yeah, genocide, all the sides. <laughs> but femicide is generally understood to be the intentional killing of women simply because they are women. Broader definitions include the killing of both women and young girls. And in the case of Juarez, Mexico, it is not clear exactly how many women have died in the city since the 1990s, but NPR says that the numbers are well within the hundreds. There is undoubtedly more than one killer in this situation, but there is almost certainly a serial killer or two involved as well. Authorities just don't know. They, they're not really sure. Um, protests began in 2020 after the murder of Isabel Cabanales de la Torre, who was shot in the head as she rode her bike home one night. She had become one of the many women killed simply because she was a woman. According to the Seattle Times, the killing started in the mid-1990s when reports of bodies found en masse in the Chihuahuan Desert started to make international news. Between 2014 and 2019, the numbers of dead bodies increased by an overwhelming 137%. And between 1993 and 2020, at least 1,700 women were killed with no other explanation besides them just being women. Sometimes remains were found, and the bodies often bore signs of torture and abuse. Oftentimes, they just disappeared, never to be seen again, and most of the cases remain unsolved. Yeah, talk about a lack of closure, as well as really super horrible closure. Yeah, and the instance of horrible closure is definitely in this example right here, which is horrible. So, Ernestina Enriquez Fierro's... 15-year-old daughter, Adriana, disappeared off the streets of Juarez in 2008. It wasn't until 2011 that Fierro saw a Facebook post that confirmed her daughter's remains were among those that had been discovered in 2009. So that is a very long time to have confirmed that that was her remains. and They weren't even notified. They found out via Facebook. I can't even imagine. And poor Ernestina just wanted to know if she's quoted as asking is being a woman a crime yeah like i said that's horrible are you chomping eyes i'm chomping eyes sorry (laughs) that's horrible to find out via facebook that your missing daughter's remains were found nearly two years ago and i can't imagine the hurt or anger one would feel because most of the time when a family member goes missing use that time to uh, mobilize and try to find her and spend a lot of families spend a lot of money and time and uh resources just trying to make sure people know that what their daughter looks like what their relative looks like who's been missing just getting law enforcement involved so that's two years that they held out hope that maybe one day she would walk back in the door when her remains were found two years ago and just the the simple fact of Wondering every night before you go to bed for two years if she was out there sad, scared, lonely, asking for you. I, as a mom, as a human, I can't imagine the heartbreak that that woman felt day after day not knowing what, what had happened to her daughter and then to know that someone had that information for so long and didn't care to share it with her. Is, it's really quite sad. Yeah, especially because um, a big part of closure for families who 
have family members who fall victim to horrific crimes is giving them a proper burial and having a funeral and a proper send-off for them. So to go two years without even having her body or her remains, whatever those may be, I'm assuming that we're probably just that, like remains and probably not oh, yeah, I would imagine a body that years. they could bury. But um, just knowing that you at least were given the closure or the ability to have whatever closure you needed to do whatever you do and send her off in the way that you find fit. So I feel like that is just awful. Yeah. I don't know what the judicial system is like down there, but it doesn't seem doesn't too sound great. No, it doesn't sound very good. And unfortunately, this next case also involves the murders of women. And this next one started in September of 1997. 1997 is a series of killings in South Africa. News reports say that the so-called Sleepy Hollow killers or killer, was responsible for the murder of at least 13 women, all of whom were strangled with their underwear. Um, so once again, we're seeing women being the targeted group of serial killers. Yeah. Investigations <laughs> seemed as tall, and not all women were identified. Then in 2007, the killing seemed to start again. This lowland action is known as the cooling off period, and from a psychological point of view, this is the point of time between murders in which serial killers seem to cool off uh, or take some time before they start killing again. It's not necessarily an integral part of the definition of a serial killer, but it happens way more often than it doesn't. Yeah, the, dura the duration of the cooling period can vary from weeks to months, um, in this case to years, um, and it varies from killer to killer. And this is usually when they see that... Um, locals and law enforcement are kind of like hot on their tail uh, mm -hmm. and they need to lay low for a little bit to not get caught but it's also a, a time when law enforcement then lets their guard down because they think possibly that person had gotten arrested for something else mm -hmm. and maybe they're not killing anymore because they're in jail somewhere and we got them and then we're like oh these crimes were not like a serial killer they were completely unrelated because nothing was still continuing yeah and everybody starts feeling good about it until, boom, they pop their head up again and start murdering the, in the same pattern as before. Like we said, very strategic. Like, these people are not stupid. No. Uh, authorities say that while the three women who were killed in 2007 were, quote-unquote, burned beyond recognition, they shared characteristics with the original 13 victims. Those characteristics are that they were found around the N3 highway, and the method of killing was the same. Experts believe it is entirely possible that the Sleepy Hollow killer returned and many investigators knew that he would not stop. Which is really scary and also brings us to our final known active serial killer because we all need more things to have <laughs> nightmares about tonight. Um, our final active serial killer is from Philadelphia. It, Philadelphia's unidentified Frankfurt Slasher to be exact. Between 18... Eight, see, I'm, I caught Emma's... Um, number problem. Yeah, incapable of reading numbers. <laughs> Between 1985 and 1990, the so-called Frankfurt Slasher killed at least eight women in five years. And this is according to NBC Philadelphia. And they also detected that there was a pattern to the killings. The women were all white. They were all locals who were known regular customers of the bars within a three-block stretch of Franklin Avenue. They were, they were all assaulted, and they were all stabbed. And once again, we're going to talk about another gross injustice um, in which law enforcement did not want to acknowledge that there was a clear distinct pattern I mean when you see women who are all regulars in the same bar scene being killed the same way within a three block stretch that's a very clear pattern 
and um, in 1990, a man named Leonard Christopher was arrested on suspicion of being the slasher. He was ultimately convicted of the murder of one of the victims, Carol Dowd, in spite of the fact that another woman was killed after his arrest and he didn't match a single one of the descriptions of the killer. The killer was described as a white middle-aged man and Leonard was a young black man, I think in his early 20s. I implore you all to take this time to look up the police sketches of the Frankfurt Slasher and then go on to look at pictures of Leonard. Um, there's absolutely no similarities at all. Facial structure completely different. Um, the police sketches, the person was wearing glasses. I don't think Leonard wore glasses. Um, once again, he was described as a white middle-aged man. We have a young black man who has no connection right. whatsoever, but you know, we see a lot of times law enforcement gets frantic to arrest someone so there's not as much fear and pressure and pressure in um, on their department. But like I said, please look at those pictures so you can see why I'm so angry here because it makes absolutely no sense. And there are, are absolutely no similarities and there was no legitimate evidence to convict this man of this murder. And that being said, they found him guilty and sentenced him to life in prison where he later died of prison and he maintained his innocence the entire time. Died he of cancer. Died of cancer. Not of prison. Not of prison. Well, I mean, died of cancer in prison. And he maintained his innocence the entire time. He never once confessed because a lot of times we see like people confessing because they're like, well, I'm in here forever. Might as well just tell people what right. I did. Or maybe they'll let me out early if I confess. Right. Um, and apparently there was another potential suspect that disappeared before he could even be investigated or arrested. Yeah. And there were lots and lots of problems with the case, beginning with law enforcement's complete denial of the connections between the victims. While no further victims were discovered in, in Philadelphia, at least, the presence of DNA evidence means that it's very possible that the case can be reopened and a match can be made. And hopefully the case finally could be solved. Um, so we were talking about how law enforcement doesn't often catch patterns and Sometimes they look for patterns even when they aren't there, and it's just kind of one of those things where serial killers are really vain individuals, and they want recognition for the work that they've done. And so they will leave you like a trail of breadcrumbs, hoping that they can outsmart you at all of their turns. And, you know, we've given a lot of credit to the intelligence of them, and we're not trying to do that in any way to glorify any serial killers, but just to point out the fact that there are lots of patterns if you just look for the patterns you will find them because they want you to find them and they want always to show you that they're smarter than you it's like something that they most serial killers kind of get kicks out of doing that sort of thing definitely and it's not even um like you said to like lift them up or whatever like boost their ego it's also to point out that i feel like a lot of times when we see movies where there's like a serial killer it's always the very obvious, weird, creepy guy mm -hmm. at the end of the street who, like, everyone has always said, oh, he's weird, don't go by his house. But as we've said, given you our statistics already, like, most of the time, these people are normal people in plain sight. Yeah. Like, you, you've probably walked past a few serial killers in your lifetime and had no clue because it's not like... I mean, yeah, you see, like, Charles Manson, who after his arrest, looked deranged. I mean, he, that was part of his act, so he looks like a freak. Because he wanted to look the, like a freak. Yeah, but back, but back in the day, in the day he, he hung out with the Beach Boys. Yeah. Like, he was in the club scene and the music scene of Hollywood. He 
was, I mean, not normal by any means, but he was integrating himself into society. Like, he wasn't just this guy who lived under a bridge like a troll. Yeah. And you were like, I don't want to go past him. But even, like, Ted Bundy, that... Ted Bundy is objectively, like, from an outside perspective, a good-looking guy, smart, from a pretty affluent family, went to a good college, was in track to be, like, on track to be in law, like, you studying law. Like, these are normal people, and sometimes. He was good enough looking that Zac Efron played him in the movie, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't find him attractive Zac Efron? No, Zac Efron, yes, Ted Bundy, I always thought he just looked weird, but I mean, I I also know that he's Ted Bundy, so I'm sure I'm kind of biased. I was going to say, I feel bad saying that he was a good-looking guy, but objectively, from a female looking at a male standpoint, Well, yeah, and a lot of times they know that, and they use it to their advantage, especially in his case. Like, he knew he was good-looking dude who was Mm -hmm. smart and charismatic, um, so he used that to his advantage and got women to trust him and yeah. do whatever. But yeah, they're normal people. They're smart. They're most of the time just look like a dude that you went to high school with. Like not trying to give you nightmares, but don't trust anybody. No, yeah, yeah, definitely don't. Um, but yeah, it's very sad. And also, although that, like we said, the presence of DNA makes it more possible for this case to be op- reopened and a match can be made. We still saw a man go to jail for something that he probably didn't even do and he died in jail yeah and that is one time that that happens is more than enough so there are definite patterns in the whole entire scenario too that we as a society need to work on and that is pinning the blame on people that we know that juries will easily convict that is ignoring a marginalized population that goes missing like the indigenous women in canada not giving proper respect to the poor people that live among us that go missing all the time. I actually meant to include this, um, and I didn't, but for those of you who listened to the Cecil Hotel episode, there's actually um, been some recent activity with a person killing people on Skid Row. Yeah, this, I think they're called like the Skid, Skid Row, Row Stabber. Or something, something like that. that. Um, I meant to get it, but we'll, we'll talk about that maybe at like the end of another episode or something. Try not to make them too super long because we don't want you to. We want you to be able to sit down and listen to it during your commute or things like that. And Emma likes her podcast really, really long, like over an hour. And I tend to like mine in little short bursts that I can listen to while I'm working. My work. first introduction to podcasts was serial, so that just yeah. laid the foundation for every podcast I listen to afterwards. So we're trying to split the difference. We're working through the things that I like and things she likes, and we're trying to put them together in some happy middle ground there um but so that is all we have for today thanks for listening to the monsters and mixers podcast we have a really special favor to ask uh, would you please like and follow us on our social media and if you get time hop on over to apple podcast and leave us a five-star rating so that we can start seeing some new listeners and That way we will be able to continue doing this because we both really like it, but Apple really likes when you get some interaction on their algorithm, so if you could do that. And also, please don't forget to share your stories. We have one or two more spritzers on our end, and then we're going to be wanting to share some of your things. We've gotten a few rolling in, so that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts. And make some toast.